Hello, and welcome to Morning Prayer at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Edison, New Jersey. Today is Thursday, and this is the third week in Advent. We begin our time of prayer in silence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. Give glory to God, our light and our life. O come, let us worship and praise. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving, and raise a loud shout to the Lord with psalms. For you, Lord, are a great God, and a great ruler above all gods. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. In your hand are the caverns of the earth. The heights of the hills are also yours. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for the Lord is our God and we are the people of God's pasture and the sheep of God's hand. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Give glory to God, our light and our life. O come, let us worship and praise. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days God has spoken to us by the Son. A reading from 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but were the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had tried to wipe them out in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? How shall I make expiation that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put anyone to death in Israel. He said, Well, what shall I do for you? And they said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel... Let seven of his sons be handed over to us, and we will impale them before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. The king said, I will hand them over. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, daughter of Ai, whom she bore to Saul. Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merab, daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, son of Barzillai, of the Maholophite. He gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they impaled them on the mountain before the Lord. The seven of them perished together. They were put to death on the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, 
took sackcloth and spread it on a rock for herself from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell on them from the heavens. She did not allow the birds of the air to come by the bodies by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told that Rizpah, daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the people of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up on the day the Philistines killed Saul at Golboa. He brought them up from there, the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan, and they gathered the bones of those who had been impaled, and they buried the bones of Saul and of his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zela, in the tomb of his father Kish. They did all that the king commanded. After that, God heeded the supplications for the land. The Philistines went to war again with Israel, and David went down together with his servants. They fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. Ishbenenab was one of the descendants of giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was fitted out with new weapons. He said that he would kill David, but Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. And David's men swore to him, You shall not go out with us in battle any longer, so that you do not quench the lamp of Israel. After this, a battle took place with the Philistines at Job, when Sibachai the Hushethite uh, killed Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. Then there was another battle with the Philistines at Job, and Elhanan, son of Jaare Oregim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was again war at Gath, and and there were men of great size who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet, twenty-four in number. He too was descended from the giants, and when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of David's brother Shimei, killed him. These four were descendants from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hands of David and his servants. The word of the Lord. Saul's transgressions still plague Israel. His violation of a covenant uh, with the Gibeonites brings a famine these many years later, and Israel is saved only by the gruesome sacrifice of what seems to be the rest of Saul's descendants. It appears that though the Gibeonites were all who remained of the Amorites, and it seems as if they've practiced some sort of human sacrifice, and maybe that's one of the reasons that the Lord had directed Saul in the first place to sacrifice all of the Amorites. It's only by virtue of their covenant that the Gibeonites are spared, but now, nearing the end of 2 Samuel, we find out that Saul's family, too, has been removed from the record, yet their memory is preserved by the burial of their ancestral land. But perhaps the most troubling detail of this section of 2 Samuel is the end of David's time in battle, which almost ends as it began, fighting a Philistine giant. So we are coming to David's end. He is no longer able to lead his men in battle, no longer the strong and formidable warrior he once was, but he is still king and still the light of Israel. Throughout this book, we have wandered, wondered who would follow him on the throne, who will be David's heir. We have witnessed the slaughter of David's sons by Absalom and Absalom's death by Joab. We have witnessed the northern tribes secede only to return again to David And even the distant sons of Saul now have been sacrificed on the mountain, as Saul was, so that Israel cannot turn back to the descendants of Saul. It makes us wonder who is left then to wear the crown. 
and whether he will be wise enough to rule well. We are faced with the honest truth that only the Lord can endure, that each human being has their place and their time, and then must leave their work into the Lord's hands and turn it over to an heir. David's son Solomon was troubled by that prospect. He writes about that in Ecclesiastes. Having worked hard to establish the kingdom, will David's heir sustain it, enlarge it, or squander the inheritance? Well, remember that it is the Lord who established the kingdom and gave it to David. And we know that the kingdom rises and falls not by the powers or the failings of any one king, but by that king's relationship with the Lord whether they remain faithful, loyal, and steadfast. Natural strength, wisdom, charisma only go so far. But, as David wrote, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. But it will be the Lord who will establish, and who has promised to establish and keep it forever. Not by David's own will or power or any cunning on his own part or any king that comes after him, but by the very last king to come in his name. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Through him, God establishes a kingdom that will last forever and ever. And in him, in Jesus Christ, we are secure. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel. You have come to your people and set them free. You have raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of your servant David. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Through your holy prophets, you promised of old to save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our forebears and to remember your holy covenant. This was the oath you swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship you without fear, holy and righteous before you all the days of our life. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way, to give God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Mighty God of mercy, we thank you for the resurrection dawn, bringing the glory of our risen Lord, who makes every day new. Especially we thank you for the sustaining goodness of your creation, for the new creation in Christ and all gifts of healing and forgiveness for the communion of faith in your church, for the gift of relationship with others. For what else are we thankful? Merciful God of might, renew this weary world and heal the hurts of all of your children and bring about your peace for all in Christ Jesus, the living Lord. Especially we pray for the church of Jesus Christ in every land and for the people, the ministries, the leaders of St. Paul's. For those who govern the nations of the world, for people in countries ravaged by strife and warfare, for all who work for peace and international harmony, for all who strive to save the earth from carelessness and destruction. For what else or for who else do we pray? 
Almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome in adversity. In all that we do, direct us to fulfilling your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Go forth into the world to serve God with gladness, with good courage, hold fast to that which is good, render to no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honor all people, love and serve God, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.